Welcome to Word is Truth. We're continuing where we left off. It is 2-21-2021. And we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Thank you. This is the thought of the week. Taken from Romans chapter 3, verse 20, is a verse that I hope sounds familiar, but maybe not. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. I have not seen a verse that is so ignored in the Word of God today. For some reason, it is immediately dismissed. I know this because I ignored it for years. This verse literally says that no one can be declared righteous by doing what God's law says. If you are busy trying to do what the law says to be righteous, of course, this verse will be difficult for you. Human logic says that if we obey God's law, we will be right with God. This verse openly, openly challenges God. Oh, let me start that again. This verse openly challenges human logic. And please note, God is the only one who can declare anyone righteous. God sees things differently than we do. We are not righteous because we have met our standard. It is God's standard that is the issue in our salvation. What does God think of man? There is none righteous, not even one. From Romans chapter 3, verse 10. For Gentiles who did not have the law, they may try to ignore this statement. For Jews who had the law, it is like a smack in the face. Why is this verse true? Because of the sinful nature that is in every man born in Adam. From Romans chapter 5, verse 19. We are born sinners and indeed unrighteous. We cannot fix that by trying to be obedient to God's law. The problem is not the law. It is us. From Romans 7, chapter 12, uh, verse 12. If I told you that you are not made righteous by obedience to what God said, you would reject me and think I'm encouraging lawlessness. But it is God saying that by doing what the law says, we will never he will never declare anyone righteous. Will you accuse him of promoting lawlessness? Additionally, in this verse, we are seeing the true purpose of the law, seeing the true purpose the law plays in our salvation. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law is given to us as a minister, a helper, to understand our true condition before God spiritually dead, and condemned. From 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. For God's standard to be maintained, we need a far better solution than our useless attempt at repairing the problem. And that is the thought of the week. And I have to admit in my own words that it was significant for me to discover this truth and just how rock solid it was. There's no wiggle room in the idea that salvation is by grace. It is free. And yes, sin is not the issue. Christ paid for all sins, as it says in First John 2, chapter 2, verse 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And we can also see harmonious verses in the Bible that talk about righteousness and where it comes from and why we are saved and how it relates to our being saved. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Having discovered this truth and just how wonderful it is to see that God's grace and his standard has covered all these problems humbles me 
and brings me before God wanting to know more about him. Knowing that salvation is a free gift and he wants all people to be saved, the next part is that he wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and what an opportunity he has afforded me at no cost. And that is my commentary. I'd like to turn it over to Dave for prayer. Oh, thanks, Dwight. At this time for service, do you have any special prayer requests? Yeah, this is asking for prayer for those who have lost family members, loved ones, friends, um, prayers of comfort for them. Okay. At this time of service, I can turn us over to a thought of grace. Dearly Father, we come to you, Lord, this Sunday morning, Father, to ask you, Lord, to look for those who are in grief, Father. Look for those who are in loss, Father, and especially those, Father, who are in need, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over those who are in, are in commute, Father, maybe driving or wherever they may be, Lord. The place that they have sent, Father, so they get to their place that they safety, Father. We ask special prayer for our church, Father, to continue to look over us, Father, as we continue to grow in your needs, Father. Father, we ask you, Lord, to pray for those who are special ones, Father, as you know who they are and where they are at, Father. Father, as we continue our church service, we ask you, Lord, to give us the words of wisdom, name and comfort that we may get to know you better. Those we ask, this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank you, uh, Dave, and thank you, Dwight. We will continue where we left off last week. We're in John chapter 15, verse, we'll try to do two verses, 22 and 23. It reads, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would be they would not be guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father as well so you should have notes in your notes there will be many who are lost in the final analysis in this world the reason for this is because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's in John 3.18. Of all, who, all those who have rejected Christ, these Jews stand out among them. To reject Jesus to his face is a different category altogether. While miracles, signs, and wonders are compelling, many seem to refuse to believe despite witnessing them. So the miracles and signs are great evidence to identify Jesus as the Christ. They do not force our will. The choice is still and always with the individual. To note, I haven't seen the miracles of Christ, and yet I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, We'll try to look at this next phrase, and we've, we've been dealing with this from the standpoint of looking at what's happening in the world and how the world will hate us. And, of course, we, by extension, because it really is a reference to the disciples and what is going to happen to them directly. But what's going to happen to them will certainly be a part of what happens to us, because we, by extension are standing on the foundation that they established. So we have <coughs> sufficient scripture to talk about that, uh, how we are part of who they are. Uh, but, and we have already covered that. So we're going to get right into the phrase, if I had not come and spoken to them. So the first thought is many of the struggles of Christ were with the religious leaders. And we tried to bring that out last week where we talked about Isaiah. And I think we're going to talk about Isaiah again in this context because we need to make sure we understand about these scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The San and I could have, should have put Sanhedrin in here as well. 
if you wanted to add that to your notes. The Sanhedrin are those who not only uh, are Pharisees, or, but they are of the religious ruling council. So they had sort of a political arm to them. So, you know, we, we had these different groups in Christ's day, and he identified them, and he spoke directly to them. That's the second point. Christ spoke directly to them, and they were witness to his miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, so a couple of scriptures to talk about that. Uh, is John seven thirty-two? We're going to move to some scriptures here quickly. We got a, quite a few of them. Seven thirty-two says, "The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him." So notice um, who is behind the scenes here. The Pharisees, the chief priests, I should I could also mention them. Uh, but mainly, it was the, the ruling body of religious leaders, we should say. And th they are the ones who rejected Christ. Uh, there are a lot of people individually, we could say, rejected Christ. But the majority of them did it. So 732, but if we also move from, from there, 46, verse 46 through 52, let's continue to read there, where it says, no one, uh, 46, no one, this, remember they sent the temple guards right, to, to, to arrest him. And that's pretty drastic, but that's what they did. So then in 46, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. This is after they went. Uh, well, well, I could have gone to 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? And this is their response. No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied. That's interesting to note. So these people were sent, these are the temple guards, were sent to arrest Christ. And yet they came back without Christ. And they said, well, what happened? Where is he? And they said, well, we got there and we were enamored by what this man was speaking about. What, who was this man? No one I've ever heard spoke like this man. So there's another verse, it's in Luke somewhere, where it talks about uh, no one spoke with the authority that this man speaks with. And it may be in John no, I think it's in Luke, but in any case, that's the thought. When they met Christ and they saw him, they didn't see him as someone worthy of being arrested. They themselves were taken by the things that Christ was saying. Verse 47, you mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. So they, it was a rhetorical question. They're basically saying, we know best. We, You guys are weak. The Pharisees, none of us have believed in him. Uh, no, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. In other words, you're following around this man. This man is leading you astray. Obviously, uh, whatever happens to you will happen to him. Nicodemus, listen to him, he's also a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee? Which is an insult. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So when he says a prophet, he's talking about the Messiah. So we know that Jesus did not come out of Galilee. Well, Galilee is a region, but he came from Bethlehem. And that is literally where uh, the scripture says he would come in Micah chapter 5. So they replied, um, are you from Galilee too? 
look into it. In other words, are you siding with this Galilean? And you will find a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So this is, and then we'll go to John 8. And we're not going to read all of what we see in John 8. Because these were a lot. I, I should probably say that you could read a lot of this on your own. So start at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but ha will have the light of life. But verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your witness is not valid. And then they start in on Jesus. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decision, and Christ goes into this whole thing, but literally it is a tough skirmish between the religious leaders and Christ. And Christ had a lot to say. They had a lot to say. By the end of it, they were calling Christ a demon. In fact, this is what they said. Uh, um, verse um, 52. At this, they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, <clears throat> and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word, your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And it goes on. We know where Jesus makes that comment. Or he says, very truly, I tell you, verse 51, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And he also talked about before Abraham was, and this is verse 58, before Abraham was born, I am. And then they had enough. Verse 59, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. If you take some time to read through this, you will see the hatred that these religious leaders have for Jesus. Now, we know they witnessed the signs, the wonders, and miracles. This is not something that is we're guessing at. So Christ demonstrated to them who he was. And if I go to John, this is the point, third point here. If I go to John 3, 1 and 2, just to note, I'm going to go there. John 3, 1 and 2 says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is the Sanhedrin. He, not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, so he he had a dope, very important man. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know your teacher who has come from God. He, now notice, we know. It's not some of us. He says, we know. Uh, it's not just him alone. It's others as well, along with who he associates with. So we can't say every one of them knew, but we could certainly say there were others who knew this. And it, he didn't even question it. He didn't say, we think you might be a teacher who comes from God. <laughs> he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So the miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles had an impact on these uh, religious leaders. You cannot say that. In John chapter 11, last week we read, if we let this man keep going on like this, everybody will believe in him. In other words, they saw where he raised or resuscitated Lazarus after he had been dead four days. This, with Lazarus sitting by his side and uh, showing himself alive, is a tremendous witness. They cannot overcome it. So what was their conclusion? This must be the Messiah. This is what Nicodemus is trying to say here. But no, their conclusion was, well, we have to kill him. Because if, if we let this man go on like this, we'll lose our power and our place. The Rome, Rome will come and we won't even have the little bit they let us have. So we have to kill him. 
it, it was a sacrifice on their part, <laughs> but it was not a righteous sacrifice. So, so notice that is what they did. Now, remember, we talked about this from last the standpoint of Isaiah last week. I want to turn there, back to Isaiah chapter 28. And we looked at some verses, starting at verse 14. Let's just read a little bit down here. Therefore, we talked about the fact that, remember, Israel is at a very low point in their history. Listen, if you read the verses prior to this, you'll see that. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. So notice who it is, and notice the position they took. Scoffers. What's a person who scoffs? It's like you say something like, oh, not true. Don't believe it. You know, this person's lying. You know, he said he was coming. He's not coming. So this is how they were characterized. And sure enough, if you read Romans 8, not Romans 8, John 8, sorry. And the skirmish that you saw between Jesus and the religious leaders, this is perfect. This is literally what happens. And listen to verse 15. You boast we have entered into a covenant with death. In other words, you can't touch us. Uh, you know, we're in God's plan. We're elected. Nothing can happen to us. Uh, and, and with the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. Sounds just like what's been going on and what we have been reading in John, verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Well, we know who that stone is. Peter says that the stone that the builders rejected is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, verse eight, uh, 17, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So, it is going to be by the righteousness of Christ that uh, God will measure Israel. He will, he will level Israel based on the righteousness of Christ. Anyone who does not meet that line, that plumb line, hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie. The water will overflow your hiding place. The covenant with death you will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it comes, it will carry you away. Morning after morning, day after day, night, it will sweep through. The understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. The bed is too short to stretch out on. The blanket too narrow to wrap around you. In other words, you will be miserable. You will toss and turn. The Lord will rise up as he did in Mount Perizim. He will rouse himself in the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. Now that... <clears throat> That literally is his strange work where he has to discipline his covenant people. And that's what is, is going on here. And we're talking temporal discipline here against his covenanted people. And we talk when it talks about the overwhelming scourge, he's talking about the 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 overwhelming judgment that is going to come and it will wipe them away. So if we look at a um, couple of think, uh, some of the thoughts here, we saw how last week it was related to what God did when Christ came to Israel. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And the judgment that came as a result of that, and we're talking temporal judgment, but it was horrible. I mean, the siege... Uh, that was brought on by their rejection of their Christ was horrible. In fact, Jesus talked about it in Matthew, and the one I use is Luke. So 
um, back to our notes, if they had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. So we're going to see what we are talking about here when it talks about guilty of sin. So first thought is not only are they, those are the religious leaders, guilty of rejecting Christ, but they are also responsible for the nation's failure. So Luke, is we're going to go to, I know we can go to Matthew, uh, but we're going to go to Luke on this one. So Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. Let's read it. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. So interesting part of history is uh, when Israel was, when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, you would figure, how in the world would you flee, right? How would you get out of Jerusalem if it's surrounded by armies? Uh, fact of history is when Titus, came and surrounded Jerusalem, he then withdrew for a time. And then the second time he came back and surrounded Jerusalem is when uh, it was besieged. So the question, Christ was telling him in between those two times, that's when you flee. When you see this, this is the sign for you to get out of Jerusalem. Don't even worry about taking whatever you have uh, you know, on your back, just run, right? Go. Don't sit there and plan, well, you know, if we're going to be moving, we've got to take all of our possessions, this and that. No, run. Get going. So that was the thought. That was the admonition here. So when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that had been written, that has been written. And sure enough, we just read some of it in Isaiah. Where what could have been so terrible? Well, they rejected their Messiah. Not only did they reject him, but they crucified him. Verse 23, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women. Or nursing mothers, because they got—they're going to be on the run. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. Who is this people? Not everybody. This is people of Jerusalem. And how do we get here? Because of the religious leaders who rejected their Messiah as a nation, right? So yeah, there were a few. Uh, of them who believed. And I think Nicodemus and there were other people who are along with Nicodemus who believed. Some people refused to side with Jesus because of the pressure that those religious leaders would put on each other. They had solidarity in their rejection of Christ and for political reasons. So what we see here is the judgment being leveled against the nation. So, uh, and that's the wrath, the great wrath against this people. And we know from Isaiah, tongues are for a sign. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22. As far as also reading Isaiah chapter 28, tongues are a sign, a warning that this is getting ready to happen as well. And then, verse 21, 24, they will fall by the sword. They will be taken as prisoners of all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this is the destruction of Jerusalem prophesied by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you get other details, more details from Matthew and some of the other uh, sister gospels but here we have a pretty good description of it here so so this is this is um i would say pretty threatening so when it says they would not be guilty of sin it is not just a sin that they rejected christ because you know that is uh, carries a tremendous weight that deals with their eternal destiny but these people 
uh, not only rejected Christ as their Savior, but they rejected him as their Messiah. If anybody would have the history of who Christ was, what he would do when he came as the Messiah, what he would say, what he would represent, it would be those who were the religious leaders. But that is not the case. That is not what happened. There was a blindness that these people had regarding judgment. So, unfortunately, you find that as a result of their actions, God had to come down with this temporal judgment. And I think Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, said somewhere 2,700,000, almost 3 million people died in this siege. That's a lot of people. And then they said 90,000 of them were led away as slaves, prisoners, captives. So this, this was a horrendous judgment. I mean, you, it is hard to even imagine that not only did they level Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, which was the pride and joy of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple seeking to get the gold that was used in the overlay of the temple. So it was a tremendous judgment. Uh, we can't say enough about it in human history. It happened in A.D. 70. So point B, 2B that is, for this rejection and sin, they will be responsible for a temporal judgment. And there's a, if you want to read about God predicting to uh, the Jews that if they would obey, that there would be this, you know, God would bless them. Um, but if they did not, then uh, things could go differently for them. There will be judgments upon them. So I'm just going to read Isaiah. Let me go back. This is We're not going to read all of this. And if you'd like, you could take time to read these. Uh, but I'll read a couple verses. Isaiah 5, 5, I believe it is. Where are we here? Yeah. We'll read a couple. Isaiah uh, 5, 5. Stand by. So it says, Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. Now this is just the analogy that God did uh, use when he talked about the vineyard. And I picked this one because we saw how the vineyard was used in uh, the Old Testament. But God the Father is saying uh, he planted a vineyard and there's something totally new. So we, we saw that in the beginning of John 15. But the vineyard uh, was Israel before. And now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. So God's saying he has a hedge around Israel. Well, what is a hedge? It's protection. A hedge means, you know, it's so thick people can't uh, come in and attack Israel. But if if he takes away its hedge, and, and what will be the result? And it will be destroyed. This is what God is saying is his strange work. I mean, he's God. He's the one that brought Israel forth. And yet, he's taking away the hedge so that Israel will be destroyed. He says, I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. And this is what happened throughout Israel's history. And why would this happen? Because uh, Israel was unfaithful to the covenant that God had called them to. So if you look at this, God, there's a lot of verses. I don't want to really go through a lot of them. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and look at start looking at verse 15, I'll start reading a couple verses, but just to allow you to get some history on this. So look, start at 15. He says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses, curses same as judgments, will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading throth will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds uh, 
and lambs and flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. So God is saying that is going to be, uh, he will strike them with plagues, diseases. They will be overtaken, as we said, by enemies. Um, terrible things happen in uh, the, the siege uh, when people, when Israel was overtaken. Not only were they slaves, but they, I mean, it's, I can't even, I don't even want to talk about all the horrors of war that happened. So the judgments of God, and you can read a lot of them here, and this is the covenant. Of course, what did Israel say when Moses came to ratify the covenant? They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be faithful. Unfortunately, Israel did not. If you want to see about Israel's unfaithfulness, a good book is Isaiah. Just start reading from chapter 1. And when you get up to chapter 10, uh, you kind of know what the pattern here is. Some of the horrible things Israel did. And God still does not cast them away. They receive temporal judgment for sure. But God does not cast away his people, which he foreknew. So those who have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will continue because God still has a purpose for them. I can talk about their judgments, but I need to be clear that there are consequences to Israel's disobedience. That's the next point. God was clear about Israel's disobedience and its consequences. So uh, if I look at John 1, 9 through 11, uh, this is back to the New Testament, book of John, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to, and this is John the baptizer, when they sent to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah, the prophet. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, for the Lord. And this, these are interesting going back and forth through John. But actually, if you look at um, verses 9, John said, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though, uh, through, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. To me, of all the things that I read about the religious leaders and how they rejected him and persecuted him, this verse, this verse 10, is astounding to me. The creator, Christ, was in the world. And we know he was the creator because verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He was the creator. And though he was in the world, it was made through him, the world did not recognize who he was. He came to that which was his own. And his own did not receive him. So two things the world itself did not bow to Christ. The world it did not yield to Christ. Remember, this world was under another ruler, Satan. So the world did not, did not recognize who he was. Uh, did, and then when he came to that which was his own, he was a Jew and he came through the Jewish nation, the tribe of Judah. They, did, they rejected him as well as the Messiah. They would not receive him. So it is like Isaiah said, he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering and rejection. So we could certainly understand that about Christ. So God uh, understood that this was going to happen. It was part of what 
needed to happen as a result of him allowing Christ to fulfill the purpose for which he was called. We're moving on in our notes. So going to point number three. So if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So this is point number three. So Jesus loved Israel and would have welcomed them with open arms. So this is good to note if we go to Matthew 23. You probably know this from all of the woes that he gave. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Woe to to you blind guides. Yeah, you know, so these woes that he gave were to the religious leaders. And that, this is very telling. And when we think about what happened in John 8, the skirmish that he had between, you know, finally they wanted to kill him. Uh, they picked up stones at the end of the conversation. Christ slipped away. And um, so what you see is battling going back and forth between Christ. I can imagine the the disciples' heads were on swivels, watching as Jesus leveled the blind guides. You know, he told them, he didn't didn't hold back anything. Uh, Called them hypocrites. Uh, You you name it. He literally said it. But when you get down toward verse 37, uh, this is... These are words that tell you what was in the heart of Christ. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Now, the reason why they kill the prophets is because they don't want to hear from God. If you want to shut God's mouth, what do you do? You kill the prophets. And God is the one that sent them. And they did not want to hear what God had to say. These are the people who had accepted the covenant. Like we said, all that the Lord had spoken, we will do. So then Moses took hyssop, sprinkled blood over the crowd, which is ratification of the covenant of Moses. And these people now are rejecting not only God's messengers sent to them, but they would also kill Christ. They are about to put him on the cross. So so Jesus is saying in verse 37, You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So it talks about the heart of Christ. It talks about how he longed, what he really wanted in his heart. And the religious leaders were not willing to let it happen. Look, he says, your house is left unto you, left to you, excuse me, to you desolate. In other words, once he departs, their worship would be empty. It would not be God honoring anymore. Not until he comes back. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When he's talking about, he's talking about God's nation and he's talking about Jerusalem. So this is Christ's thought about Jerusalem. What was in his heart? Uh, Sadness knowing what was ahead. And and in Matthew 24, he tells them, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. The very next chapter. So he's not happy that they're getting what they deserve, but he's sad. He's lamenting over this thought. So when you think about that, that is literally the heart of Christ. Their stubbornness, point B, of heart did not cause hardness of heart for Jesus. Uh, and this, to me, is heartwarming. 
as I think about our Lord and what was inside. For this, I'm going to turn to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. So 41, as he approached Jerusalem, um, he saw, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, listen, he wept over it. So when you saw, so this is something that Christ uh, became emotional about. So here's a grown man crying. And his disciples are witnessing this. All of them had love in their heart for Jerusalem. It was literally the center of their worship. And Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He's, as he's approaching it and probably coming down a hill and seeing Jerusalem up on the hill. And he's looking at it and instead of them the pride and all of it represents he sees the destruction of Jerusalem and the death and carnage that is about ready to happen and this is what he says if you even you had only known on this day what would would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So, this is a tough time for Jesus when I think about it. it. This is, Christ is upset. He is not happy that his enemies are going to be destroyed. He's upset at the fact that Israel did not see the time where God came. So, a, another story around this thought where it talks about uh, but now they have no excuse for their sin remember they are guilty of it is is their stubbornness right but here you see another example in John chapter 9 let's let's look at that chapter 9 29 through 41 and you know I may be skimming uh, there's a lot of verses here so if I skim some of them (laughs) then you could go back and read the whole story I think it's pertinent. So verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. This is the Pharisees, right? Uh, This is where the blind man was healed uh, and it was caused such a stir. And they brought him in, they brought his parents in, and nobody, everybody was scared of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees said, if anybody confesses that Jesus is the Christ, they will be put out of the synagogue. Which is there, you know, it could be some terrible things happening there persecution and loss of revenue, and you couldn't support your family, and ostracized from the community, and so forth, shunned. So, this, this is what the, the religious leaders were saying about anybody who would believe in Christ. So, they had this conversation. I think it's worth reading. If you have already read it, it's good to refresh your reading as well. So from 29, this is what they said. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answers, the man who was healed, right? Blindness. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. According to to him, this is this man who was healed. This is just his logical reasoning and talk in the face of these religious leaders. And remember, that was the conclusion Nicodemus came to as well. He says, we know you are from God because nobody can do the things you have been doing except God is with him. Verse 34, to this they replied, you are, were steeped in sin at birth 
How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see, or think they see, will become blind, or see that they're blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So this is interesting. A lot could be said in this verse 41. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Notice, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. In other words, if you truly can't see, you're not guilty. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So notice, your guilt remains from the beginning. Uh, but the fact that you say you can see is your outright rejection of who Jesus is. And therefore, the guilt remains. So very similar to the verses that we are dealing with in John chapter 15. So they have no excuse for their sin. None. Interesting story. And so, take some time to read it. Point number four, we're moving on. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. So this hates my father as well. Not because Jesus and the father are the same person, but hating Jesus is hating the father's plan. I'm going to go to 1 John for the thought here. 1 John chapter 2. Chapter 2, 21 through 23 says, um, says, <clears throat> I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So he's playing on words here, but just, just so he's get that right. I do not, I'm, I'm not writing because you do not know the truth. I'm writing because you do know it. And you know that no lie comes from the truth. Verse 22. Who is a liar? Who is it? Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Notice, by rejecting Christ, what are you doing? If you're rejecting that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are also rejecting the Father who sent him. I mean, it is literally said that way. So by Jesus saying, oh, you, you are rejecting uh, the Father, so you are rejecting me, so you're rejecting the one you think is the Father. This is the Father's plan. The Father's the one who sent me. So, verse 23, 1 John 2, 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, you, just knowing these uh, axioms helps us understand the reasoning here is that you, if you believe in Christ, then you are also believing in the one who sent him. So, hence the verse, John, it is in John 5, 24. He that believes on him who sent me. Well, that's literally Jesus saying, you understand the plan. You understand that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus didn't show up somewhere and say, hey, here I am. No, it's a plan. That's, that's the thought here. So, the, these Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, teacher of the law, Sanhedrin, right? all of these folks got together and 
came up with a conspiracy to eliminate the person of Christ. And for that, they would receive horrible judgment. As, and so there's more hatred. And what we have in these next verses is their reasoning. And I want to go to John chapter 5. And I wouldn't say all of this is, is their reasoning, but it is a huge part of it. John chapter 5, 17 through 23. So, so this, this man was, Jesus made him whole on the Sabbath, right? And the whole thing stems from, if you read what is previous in John chapter 5, he told him to get up, pick up your mat and walk. It, this is miraculous. It's a miraculous uh, healing that Jesus did. What is the response of the Pharisees? Uh, they're upset because he did it on the Sabbath. They're not amazed, uh, you know, that that um, Christ did something miraculous. But they're saying, well, this man did it on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be telling a man, somebody to pick up their mat and walk. That's a violation of the Sabbath. So, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. That's verse 16. In defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, at his work, to this very day, and I too am working. So you may not see this in the English as much, but in the Greek, they saw this as very threatening. Verse 18 is their response. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. So they were already trying to kill him, but this solidified it for them. They said, oh, really? You said that, right? So not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their minds, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they understood everything perfectly. and But their charge of blasphemy here is wrong. And I go to Philippians. We're going to come back to John, but you know Philippians says, although he uh, was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be seized in hell, in other words, clung to, but made himself nothing. Even though he was equal, he had equality with God. That's interesting. When we think about who Jesus is, we're talking about the man, Christ Jesus, who claimed equality with God. So whatever Jesus had going on with God, it says here in Philippians also that he was equal to God. It's, he had equality with God. So now the question becomes, what do we have with Christ? What arrangement do we have with Christ that identifies us with the person of Christ? Who then in turn identifies us with the person of the Father? It is a question for thought. I will leave it there, but let's continue going back into John chapter 5. So Jesus, verse 19, after they leveled that against him, he came back with, very truly, this is verse 19, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. In other words, the father's plan. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I operate according to what the Father shows me, according to the plan. I'm not here to do what my will is, but to do the will of him who sent me. So, for the Father loves the Son and shows, <clears throat> shows him all he does. In other words, he's revealed his entire plan. Yes, and he will show him even greater thing, greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. What do you mean than these? Than the healing that he just did going to be much greater works than this. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That, and this is, this is the crux of it. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That, if, if that is not uh, if Christ is not on an equal basis with God the Father, 
if he does not have all the authority to act in the Father's stead, then he is committing blasphemy. But he does. He does. So he can say this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Imagine that. That you worship the way you honor and worship the Father. Jesus is saying that you honor and worship him. That is a profound statement. These are statements we could stop and talk about for a long time. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Literally, what God is doing in us through the baptism of the Spirit is miraculous. And its results just never stop flowing, just like the waves of the ocean just continually flow. So it is that God continues to bring more and more knowledge and wisdom about what he has done in us through the person of Christ. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And we already know how that all works. How the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So in any way, uh, that's the thought here. That is the thought uh, that we have to grapple with. And uh, we're closing. So point number C from Jesus, his face-to-face -face rejection by the religious leaders. What, what do we get from that? So it, we get the first thought, for they do not know the one who sent me. Remember, that's in verse 21 of John 15. They do not know the one who sent me. And I, I, to not know the Father is one thing. But then you could be in a position of learning. But there's hatred directed toward Christ. Why? Because they don't know the Father. They don't know what the Father's plan is. So it's not just about the Father. It's about the Father's plan. And the Father's plan is what Christ is executing and what Christ is executing is what they're rebelling against. So that is, they do not know the one who sent me. And then um, you have, and, and hates my father as well. So not only do they not know him, but they hate him. That's verse 23. That's the verse we were in today. Uh, they hate the father. I mean, they not only know, I mean, they hear what Christ is teaching. They hear what what it is and they reject it they are horribly they hate it and in such a way that they want to persecute christ so this is what christ says in john eight forty four. as a result you belong to your father the devil and you do and and, and you want to carry out your father's desires now notice they want to carry out the father's desires that's the, the plans of the devil that's following the, the ways of this world but if you want to fo follow or the desires of your father which is in heaven then you have to follow his plan so now there was a change there was a directional change where Christ has now put Israel on hold and he is calling out those many sons in the glory, his church. Many people have not followed that plan. The Jews rejected it as well. So that's what we're dealing with in these verses. And that's how um, what we are seeing is also a part of what is happening in our very day, the time in which we live. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with these thoughts next week. Thank you, Father, for this privilege, taking our time, going through these verses, uh, understanding the nuance of your word. And uh, we love um, what you have given us. When we say you have preserved your word for us, we're not just saying that the word is here, but we're also saying uh, that it is accurate, that we trust in it that we have given our lives to the, the truth that is found therein. 
So we thank you for that. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has been an example and executed your plan. And now we find ourselves in him from what you have chosen us. So we are grateful and uh, thankful for what we have read about your plan. We pray for those who are in this world. We pray for the church, that we will all come to the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, that we will all together come with the same voice and speak the, the message that you have given us, this unique message in this age. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.